Happy Memorial Day, everybody, if you're listening to this today. We recorded this almost four years ago because it's the four-year anniversary of the debut of History Channel's Texas Rising. So we thought, let's go back and listen, now that we're four years wiser about Texas history, to what we said back then. Now, they got a lot of things wrong, and then they got a lot more things wrong, but we still think that there's room on television for a great Texas history show. Give us a call, History Channel. We're still here. One other note, we did have some audio problems when we recorded this particular episode, and if you'd like to listen to the whole series, just go back and listen to episodes 90, 91, 92, etc., etc. We did the whole run. Without further ado, here's the show. Before we begin today, we just want to let you know that there's some exciting things happening on the History Channel. They're doing a whole series about Texas from the fall of the Alamo to the Battle of San Jacinto. And uh, we thought that we'd jump in and we'd really tell you, did they get it right? So tune in today and for the next few weeks, because we're going to be giving you the full recap and the real history of Texas for Texas Rising. We're taking a brief hiatus from our Davy Crockett series, but do not fret because Davy Crockett Part 3, the last installment, will air at the end of June. So hang in there with us while we talk about Texas Rising. Remember, if you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash texaspodcast. And without further ado, here's the show. Yeah, the first the first thing you see on a show on the History Channel about the history of the Texas Revolution, March 7th. The date is wrong. <laughs> totally wrong. Howdy. You're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Solkowski. I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom. Today we're going to talk about Texas Rising, the 10-hour miniseries that's been airing on the History Channel. What they got right, what they got wrong, and what's the real history. But first, what's your favorite Bill Paxton movie quote? You know, there's the obvious big line from... uh... James Cameron's Aliens, but I'm going to go with the less obvious, but thoroughly entertaining. Why don't you put her in charge? Well, I'm just going to say, uh, I'm a huge Weird Science fan. You're stewed, but one! <laughs> well, I'm going to go with Nosa. I'm from Kentucky, which is from the recent Tom Cruise movie, Edge of Tomorrow. Nosa, I'm from Kentucky. Well, enough said. I mean, we all love Bill Paxton and think he's a great actor. So let's just hit the big bullet points of what happened in episode one. So the first episode of uh, Texas Rising starts out with one of the most significant events in Texas history, which is the fall of the Alamo. That's where it starts. Um, We've got the ruins of the Alamo. Bodies are burning. uh, The Mexican troops are picking over the ashes and they execute the few remaining survivors in cold blood. Um, that's what kicks this whole thing off. Um, right after that, they introduce the character of Emily West, who becomes known as the Yellow Rose of Texas in Legend. Um, what she's doing at the Alamo, we'll get into later. But uh, they execute what 
turns out to be her brother. And then the next thing we see is Ray Liotta's character. If you don't watch this show, the only reason to watch it is this beard. I mean, it's amazing. But Ray Liotta and his beard, they're alive. They somehow manage to survive the massacre at the Alamo, and they escape. Then we're taken and introduced to Sam Houston, played by the wonderful Bill Paxton. And we see that the Texas Army is falling apart and is near mutiny. Yeah, and they're located in Gonzales, which is uh, about 60 miles away. Okay. Uh, and then they cut back to Santa Ana uh, talking about how he's going to just grind out the Mexicans and kill them. Just the, And he kills a chicken. Uh, a car, uh, he's, he's got some some roosters that are for cockfighting, and he kills one and snaps one of them to the neck because he, he's named Sam Houston. And it kind of shows you Sam Hus- uh, Santa Ana's character. So then we cut to the Texas Rangers, who are out on the prairie, uh, ranging and patrolling. They're led by Deef Smith, uh, played by Jeffrey Dean Morgan. And yes, Deef is a correct pronunciation of the deaf. You know, we may say it Deaf Smith today, but it was actually Deef Smith. He has got uh, some some guys with him, including Brendan Fraser, who apparently is some type of Indian or half breed or something. And then also in the group is a young guy, a womanizer. And who dresses like an outlaw from Tombstone, and then two guys who are young guys, and they're they basically are the comic relief of this series. And my wife said those these guys are the Jar Jar Binks of this show, <laughs> and they really are. They're horrible. But anyway, they run into uh, so they're out patrolling, and they see this wagon being chased by these Indians on horseback. And we'll get to more about this later. But they rescue them, and this is Emily Morgan, and uh, this is Emily Morgan and Susanna Dickinson. Oh, and then they take those rescued survivors and they take them back to the Texan army camp and there Emily West meets Sam Houston and they hook up. And they had a previous relationship, actually, you find out. Yeah, they kind of bounce back and forth between some of the different plot lines, but essentially... uh, The Texans are trying to get organized. The Santa Ana is gloating and the rangers are ranging and that's kind of where we are with the story so essentially the first two hours is really just the setup of the characters and they're trying to establish some base characters and we're going to get into the next two hours our next in our next recording so let's talk about what they really got wrong and the egregious errors that just make us plain texas crazy yeah. Okay. The first big thing. Okay. Um. I first noticed that you guys sent me the link to the article from uh, Texas Monthly that talked. You know, it was kind of a preview of the show. And the very first thing they called out in that article, I was watching for, and they get the date wrong. Um. The fall of the Alamo was March sixth, eighteen thirty six, and the date that comes up on the screen is March seventh, eighteen thirty six. Um, yeah, the first the first thing you see on a show on the History Channel about the history of the Texas Revolution, March seventh. The date is wrong. <laughs> totally wrong. In our notes, it says in all caps, "You just failed seventh grade Texas history." Congratulations. Uh, it's it, 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 it. Look, I mean, if you we've talked about this <laughs> in previous episodes, you go to the Alamo. And it is like going to church. It is a sacred, majestic place for every Texan. And you got it flat wrong. So, boo. 
yeah. And yeah, and then after that very egregious and obvious date error is just the general lack of understanding of what the geography of Texas in that area really is. Um, yes. What we see or on anywhere in Texas, is, uh, yeah. What we see on the screen is this, you know, vast scrubland and uh, desert with uh, some towering cliffs looking down into the canyon. And that area of Texas has nothing really that resembles those wide open desert plains. Look, if all of the, if the Texas revolution happened outside of El Paso, perhaps. And if you go to far West Texas and you're in the Davis mountains, that's the only mountains in Texas. If you go to, Goliad, or if you go to Gonzales, or if you go to San Patricio, or if you go to any place in South Texas, it's relatively flat because it's part of a coast. It's a Gulf Coastal Plain, and I, I remember, you know, growing up in Corpus, uh, outside of Corpus, I can remember driving uh, places as a kid, and you can see for three, four miles, it's flat. It's flat, and it just rolls off the the, the Earth rolls off the horizon. It's so flat, you would think it's Nebraska or something. Yeah. So, so the movie, so the series was filmed in Durango, Mexico. And so that's why it does look like Arizona, New Mexico is filmed in Northern Mexico, which is that landscape. And usually I, I was, I was willing to let, let it slide as far as the geography goes, because I love old John Ford Westerns and many of those are set in Texas are, are supposed to be Texas and it's Monument Valley, which is in Arizona. There are no, there are literally no like crested buttes in in the entire state of texas my point that i was trying that i was that is that i was willing to, to let it go until they had a scene later in the movie in the first episode in in nacogdoches and the scene is set up it's a prairie plain with buffalo and i nearly launched myself out of the chair and screamed nacogdoches is in the middle of a huge vast pine forest <laughs> Well, and it, it was ridiculous. You know, no, it's ridiculous. It looked like it's ridiculous. East Texas is pine. Like we've talked about the geography of Texas on a couple episodes. I mean, think people I think don't understand about Texas is everybody thinks it looks like Tombstone, Arizona. You know, and the thing is that it's there's pine forests and there's all these different ones. And and they clearly kept hitting these really ridiculous geographical areas. Like I never saw anything that looked any anything like Texas at all. So it really takes you, if you know, for me with Texas, it takes you completely out of it. So they could have tried a little harder. So why couldn't we film this thing in Texas? Like there is a Texas film commission. They're happy to give all kinds of incentives to film productions to come here and film. Now, in fact, we've talked about on a couple of episodes, other films that tried to film the Alamo or events of Texas history outside of Texas and the Daughters of the Texas Revolution mustered all kinds of political clout to get those productions moved to Texas. They were going to boycott John Wayne's The Alamo, one of the most famous Alamo movies, because they wouldn't film in here in Texas. So I don't understand why our Texas politicians let us down and let the History Channel film this thing in Mexico. No, I mean, I was just going to say, it's. I'm sure it was purely an economical decision why they chose to shoot it in Mexico rather than in Texas, so... Obviously, from what we have seen, um, 100% accuracy is not their goal. Um, in fact, I'm pretty sure the filmmakers were even quoted as saying as such that their their goal is to entertain. So, um, 
We can't expect accuracy. But we sure can talk about it. We sure can. Uh, so one of the things we already mentioned was the first appearance of the Rangers where they encounter Susanna Dickinson and Emily West as they're being escorted out of the Alamo or escorted to Mexico uh, on Santa Ana's orders. Well, first of all, this didn't happen. For Emily West, who wasn't there, didn't happen anyway, but they were actually taken with great courtesy uh, to the near Gonzalez and let go so that they could tell the Texans what happened and warn them. Uh, Emily Dickinson was and her child, or I'm sorry, Susanna Dickinson was and her child. But what's happening instead in the show is that they are being attacked by these, uh, they're being attacked by these Indians uh, on horseback. And it's a classic scene straight out of a John Ford Western. You know, they're, they're running down this covered wagon and trying to get the, get the women folk. Here's the problem. Besides this never happened is that, there's the Rangers say that these are that the Indians were Karankawa Indians. And on our past shows, we've talked about the Karankawa Indians. They are not Plains Indians. They are not horse, horse culture Indians. They were coastal hunter gatherers. <laughs> they, they rode in canoes. Uh, and these Indians are these 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 attacking Indians are straight out of central casting. They're riding horses. They have breech clouts. They have bows and arrows. That's not an all accurate, but then to make matters worse, the Karankawa were mostly wiped out by 1836, and I actually did some research. The few remaining warriors still alive sided with the Texans during the revolutions. One of their last chiefs was killed in a battle on the Texas side. So, yeah, there's this stupid throwaway line. What are they doing so far in? And I thought they were wiped out. At least they aren't Comanche, who are ringing the canyon watching this fight take place. That brings to light one of the other things that uh, was pointed out in that Texas Monthly article in which I concur with, which is there's a whole lot of dialogue, especially in this first episode, that is purely exposition. That the only purpose of the dialogue is to tell some sort of backstory and set things up so that people understand what's going on. Is it true that Sam Houston, when he left being governor of Tennessee, was drunk for five years and left his wife and yada? It's like, it's like reading off a cue card almost. It's like, here's all these bullet points I need to hit, um, regardless of whether it makes sense for my character to say these things. Oh, absolutely. And the thing that's really crazy about this show is, is that it's a point I know we discussed early discussion Scott made and we all saw it was, is there aren't almost no Tejanos as part of the revolution. And the thing that really made me a little crazy. There's two. There's, Oh, there's, yeah, there's two. two. Oh, well, that's there's a whole two. lot, you know, and, and the, but instead of half, <laughs> but, but right. think, and that's like, it's like the whole Tejano experience. Yeah. The whole Tejano experience is condensed in these two characters and not even well. Okay. Now I get that. But the thing that really, but so that was like a big sore thumb that stuck out. But then in addition to that, they stick in a bunch of other characters that never existed. So you have this mythical survivor of the Alamo Massacre, uh, played by Ray Liotta and his magnificent beard. So you have Jar Jar One and Jar Jar Two. You have yeah, you have the two, the comic relief. You have these sort of things. But here's the problem that I really have is there are, and, and we'll get into this in, in a little bit, I think. But the there are historical characters that are left out. There are people who are real documented, interesting people. Uh, we highlighted Creed Taylor in a couple of tweets. 
And if you haven't listened to Craig Taylor, you have to listen to that episode because he was a man. He was 16 at Gonzales when, when come and take it happened. He almost made it into the Alamo. He was there for the battle of the grass fight. He was there at, he was, he was in, involved in almost every major skirmish of the revolution. He was part of the great scrape. And then he was present at San Jacinto. And the thing is, is that you have these characters and ideals. You don't, this is episode 90 you're listening to right now, folks. And we're proud of every single episode we made. And every bit of it is true history. We've done our homework. We've read the books. We've done the research. And it's a little bit insulting to us to see this story where it's like, we know there are interesting characters who are not being highlighted in the show. And we see these characters who are being misrepresented in this show. Uh, and, and so that was really the, probably the frustrating thing was, is that, you know, a little bit of knowledge is a dangerous thing. A lot of knowledge is just a frustrating thing watching this show. Yeah. It's, it's great that Henry Wax Carnes, who's played by, uh, Chris McDonald, Shooter, Shooter McGavin, uh, he's featured in the show. Uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan plays, uh, Deef Smith, the Bigfoot Wallace and, and John, Jack Coffee Hayes make appearances later. There are real characters that are shown in here, and and that's fine. That and D. Smith has a major role in the movie, which is which is really a good point that they get. But like once again, he could have been the focus of this show. He perfectly encapsulates the whole experience of Texas. He is a Tejano who was fighting for freedom against a ruthless dictator. He supported independence. He's a perfect focus for the show, and. And, and he's like basically kind of a throwaway character. He's barely, he has a couple of scenes. He has a couple of lines of exp- expositionary dialogue about the struggle of the Tejanos and the Texas revolution. But there he and Juan Flores are the only dudes there that are Tejanos. What's wrong? <laughs> Why couldn't they get that right? Here's the thing that I want to say about the Tejano issue. And this is something that, that I didn't really even understand to a full depth until we started this project almost two years ago. To really understand what the Texas Revolution is about, you've got to understand 50, 60 years of Mexican politics that in, in Spanish politics that preceded the Texas Revolution and just how unstable that, that government is. And that that instability is what created the instability in Texas that created the, you know, that created all of these emperors and dictators that preceded and instructed Santa Ana and that made Santa Ana the person he was. And he's, he's such a complicated, it's such a complicated and interesting puzzle that if you like the machinations of politics of Game of Thrones, you could watch a whole show just about the political like backstabbing of what happened in Mexico. And all of that is reflected into Texas. Texas became a pawn in that game. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's one of the things that I said before that I found frustrating is, you know, things are presented in a very black and white manner in this show so far. it's. I mean, I understand that from a dramatic perspective that they want to have the epic good versus evil, Sam Houston versus Santa Ana conflict. But the truth of it was that there was a lot more gray going on. And um, there is that whole history of 
the Tejanos of Spanish descent that were also rebelling against Santa Ana. And I don't think that aspect of it is fairly represented because that's one of the things that we've really tried to express when we talk about this stuff is that it wasn't just the Anglos coming in and kind of taking over. And then then to make matters worse, there are a lot of broad and frankly ignorant stereotypes. The the one that just smacked me across the face was the the cockfighting scene where where the victorious Mexican army is – having a you know they're having a cockfight and they're all swarthy and they're all drinking tequila and they're all going ay 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 and it's 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 awful it's an awful awful scene i i think oliver martinez is great i think the costumes are great the set design for the for the mexican camp was fantastic but that scene was like the most blatantly racist scene i've seen in a in a show and here's the thing is the complexities add to the story Game of Thrones is a highly complex story. Uh, Boardwalk Empire. Boardwalk Empire was a highly complex story. All of these things, they have the elements that people like, the the popular elements, the prurian elements, but they're highly complex stories. It's not, it's not too much to ask to put some effort into screenwriting and tell the complex stories. It doesn't have to be, like Scott said, black and white, cut and dry, binary at all. Well, let, let me just, you say, we've said Game of Thrones a couple of times. If you've watched Game of Thrones and you watch the opening title sequence of this, it cribs from Game of Thrones a lot. And I think that there's this idea of, <laughs> yeah. oh, we'll create this interesting narrative with all these, yeah. int- with all these, you know, zany characters that interact and it, it's this big puzzle we're going to unwind. And truly, the history is very interesting and has a lot of those aspects. However, it's through the lens of Hollywood that they've distorted so much of the true history. Uh, last bit of let. Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say they definitely spilled uh, Game of Thrones and Deadwood all over my Texas history. <laughs> and, that, that, and that's 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 probably the most telling quote of the show. Yeah, they did. They so, did. last piece of this: Brendan Fraser plays a character who is a white man who is kidnapped. He's a fictional character. He's a white man. He was kidnapped and raised by the Indians for some time, and now he functions as a aide to the Texas Ranger, a Texas Ranger slash tracker, sort of knowledgeable sidekick person. Um, he has these braids that are super annoying to watch him wearing. And the question I asked Sean watching this show on the first <laughs> night was, you know, do they really want to cast Willie Nelson? Could they just not get him? Was he busy uh, touring or something? You know what? Is, how how did he get there? <laughs> yeah, just let me say that it is good to see Encino Man in a movie that does not involve mummies. I was afraid he was being typecast. Well, so and that that leads us to the next point, which is this is now we kind of get to some of the stuff they got right. Now, I think Brendan Fraser was didn't he he got better in the second episode. The first episode, his accent was awful, and he just wasn't given a lot to work with, but. Otherwise, the casting of this show was fantastic. There is no doubt about it. It has a stellar cast. Yeah, what they did with it or what they were given, they they did the most with what they were given. Um, and if you read it, it's like a who's who of like, I mean, there's there's not a lot of A-game actors, uh, but a lot of a lot of character actors, uh, a lot, yeah, a lot of character actors actually in this movie. The only person who isn't in the cast so far that I'm disappointed about is native Texan Stephen Tobolowski. But other than that, 
<laughs> Fantastic casting. No, well, so let's start at the top. I mean, Bill Paxton, Sam Houston, he's always dreamed of playing it. He's a distant relative of Sam's. And, you know, I, I think he's he's clearly got a lot of passion in, the, in, in playing it. I mean, he seems like he's having the time of his life playing Sam Houston. So he's, that fun comes through for me. And I was, I was impressed with his performance that way. Uh, and then uh, Oliver Martinez plays Santa Ana and he is a, he does a really good job. I don't think he does quite as good a job as Raul Julia did in the 1980s, uh, 13 days to glory movie, but he, he certainly gets the, he certainly gets the, the right notes and we'll talk more about him in the next episode. Yeah. I think Santa Ana is for next time, but, but the, yeah, I, I like him. Um, the, the girl who plays, uh, the woman who plays Emily West. Oh, s- yeah, Cynthia, Cynthia Adai Robinson, uh, who's a British born, British born, uh, British raised. Or she's British of Ghanaian descent, so she's not an American at all. But she does a great job, um, and she she I think she's probably one of the very best parts of this movie, actually. Even though her story is totally made up. Now, I like despite the fictionalization of the performance. If I can put. If I can put everything out and just look at the performance, I think she does great. So I don't think there's, uh, again, the, the, the two Jar Jar Binks guys are kind of, uh, we found them annoying to watch and distracting, but that's probably us. Jeffrey Morgan, Jeffrey Morgan's good. Um, there's, there's, uh, so far we've seen Jonathan Skage who retweeted us. We, we tweeted how much we liked him and, uh, he retweeted us. Crispin Glover, fantastic. It's Mosley. Crispin Glover is great and everything. If you haven't seen Ruben and Ed, go find a copy on the internet because that's the craziest movie ever. We love that movie. Yeah, go, watch, go find it. What are some, Oh, and then of course, Ray Liotta, which we've talked about his beard, but Ray Liotta has an intensity of his character. He doesn't do a lot in the first episode. Second episode, he really kind of comes through. Scott, what were the, what were some other standouts that you saw? I like shooter McCarns. Uh, sh- you know, um, it's good to see him in a role. That's not, uh, strictly comic relief you know and he's not hamming it up as the bad guy he actually comes through as a competent you know rank texas ranger i uh, can't tell if he well carnes he's a captain so um you know that really comes through he comes through as uh, someone that i believe could excel in that role oh rob rob moreau rob moreau plays yeah rob moreau plays fannin oh yes uh fannin <laughs> Yeah, a um, little bit further south than his Alaska, Alaskan home. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, I, I know there were some comments uh, that we saw online of people talking about how they didn't think Sam Houston was cast very well, but I have to disagree with that because I think Bill Paxton carries a, I mean, he is more subdued than maybe some people would expect, but he carries a, a gravity you know, a gravity to him that I think pulls through. I mean, you have to remember that he's got to carry this arc through, you know, 10 hours of television. So he can't start out as the ultimate hero of everything. I mean, there's got to be a buildup to that from a dramatic perspective. But you get glimpses in this first episode, and I think he really shows that, you know, there's a lot going on in his head. He's like, look, I've kind of got a plan. I'm not giving it to you right now it's like i'm not explaining absolutely everything that i'm going to do but i've got an inkling of what's coming and i think paxton really kind of shows that spark well yeah i think i mean i think the opener i think that's the thing is of all the of all the people yeah and i think 
Paxton wears the crown of this. And I think his, his passion and weight is what's going to pull us through the next eight hours of watching this show uh, and seeing his performance. Yeah. Um, and the last, yeah. And the last thing I think that they, re- they do get right, it, it, despite the, the historical accuracy errors and the, and this, the, the scale of it, because they, they can't have the huge cast that they really need. Uh, the general sweep of the revolution and the stakes at play in this first episode, you really, you do, you do start to get an idea and understanding of the stakes that are at play with, uh, with the, the characters and with what's going on from a political perspective, it is black and white. It is broad, but at least they do capture some of the things that are right about what's going on at this stage in the revolution. Well, how about just a shout out to the history channel or I guess it's just called history now for let's, let's start a national dialogue about Texas history and the Texas revolution as Texas as amateur Texas historians, as people who've been chronicling this stuff, we're glad that people, you know, are more people are interested in it because we love these stories and we're, you know, we may criticize here, but uh, we're glad people are watching it, enjoying the show and talking about it. Yeah. People are talking about Texas history and if, Nothing else it gives us and all Texans that attended Texas history class will know. Um, it gives us the opportunity to share, you know, the story that we've grown up learning and uh, falling in love with. Well, they did get right. I mean, Mosley and Sherman, they, they, they despised Houston. Like there's a lot of people that don't like Houston that start showing up in this story. This episode, we're going to see more keep showing up. I'm excited to see what happens in the next episode. Uh, but, and lastly, like, you know, you've talked about Martinez. Good, good job. I think he's, I think he's doing the best he can with the material is given. Santa Ana is such a complicated character that it took more than one episode for us to just break down what an amazing comeback kid he is. So, uh, we may think of him as Darth Vader, but he's complicated and he's worth listening to our episode about. Yeah. I'd like to see, uh, Telemundo or Univision or, or even, uh, even though I don't get it, El Rey do a long form mini series on the life of Santa Ana. Here you go, Robert Rodriguez. This is a call out to you. There you go. Uh, well, let's take a, let's, let's take a pause here and let's talk about some second opinions, some second opinions that these are these, we, we sent out the notes to you guys. We said, Hey, uh, send us messages, send us uh, comments, email us, tweet us, just get a hold of us. So, uh, we're, we're going to run through and, and answer some questions, give some comments that people had off the internet. So, uh, first up we have from pi two, two, seven via Reddit and Texas history said, looking forward to hearing your podcast. I'm about 15 minutes into Texas rising and I'm just shaking my head. Yeah. Well, no, I was going to say shaking the part about shaking your head. That's pretty much what I did when I, I had my, in my notes here, uh, Texas, 100% desert since 1836 or so, I guess. Uh, Okay, the next one we've got is from the Texican, the underscore Texican uh, via Reddit also. And he says, or they say, I was fairly certain there would be stretches of the truth here. Def don't view this as a documentary, but rather entertainment about Texas. We'll check out your podcast for sure. Just found you on podcasts, pocket casts. So welcome, Texican. Well, via Facebook, we got a note from Travis J. Dow, and he runs the Bohemican podcast, which is a podcast about checks. 
And he said, hey, say something about checks. And I said to him, hey, you're going to show up in about 10 years. So there's a whole wave of European immigrants coming well after this story. Yeah, Kerry Freeman uh, commented on our Facebook page that he thought the Santa Ana portrayed in the commercials uh, was kind of a kind of put him off um, because it seemed to very much follow the stereotypical Santa Ana is the Darth Vader of the Texas Revolution aspect of things. Um, I think as the show goes on, we've seen a lot more nuance in Santa Ana, and we have certainly explored all the different facets of his real life character on our show. So, uh, Carrie, uh, keep watching the show and tune into our podcast, uh, especially listen to our Santa Ana episodes. And hopefully you'll, uh, hear more of what you want to hear. Uh, so Sean Elstrom, I wonder who that is. Uh, he, he sent us to Facebook note and said, I'm only 20 minutes into the first episode, but I can already see the filmmakers took a bit of license with the scenic vistas. The last time I checked, the area south and east of San Antonio is quite a bit flatter and less rugged than depicted, which is true. Absolutely right, Sean. Good, good call, Sean. Uh, 10.6 via Reddit uh, slash Texas said, uh, I haven't watched the show yet. In general, is it considered accurate or a little glossy and revisionist to the benefit of Texans compared to the Native Americans, Mexicans, and others? I'd love to watch a real history of Texas, but I could do without the dramatized adaptations of history. Well, that isn't what you get. I'm sorry, 10-6, but, uh, you know, you're, you're getting, look, they did the Vikings, uh, we'll say this. It's probably going to be better than the upcoming King Tut that the History Channel is about to tackle. Yes. Yes. No, that's going to be on stars, but yes. One thing I wanted to mention about, uh, you know, we're talking about the historical accuracy of this and lack thereof in certain aspects. Um, previous to the airing of the miniseries, um, History aired a one-hour show called Avenging the Alamo, The Road to Texas Rising, which kind of was a behind-the-scenes look at how the project came together, but mostly it pulls together all of the historical facts that led up to the fall of the Alamo and the, uh, you know, basically the events that are covered in the show. They kind of talk about the history leading up to that, and honestly, when I watched that, it was much, much more informative and just as entertaining than the actual miniseries so far. So if you did not get a chance to watch that, if you missed that, um, I last I checked, I think bef- at the time that we're recording this, it was available on UVerse On Demand. Um, I'm sure the other uh, cable networks would also have that. Otherwise, I think you can probably find it online somewhere. But I would highly recommend you watch that because um, it has a lot more depth to the information of uh, how these events started out. I got a great tweet that we saw. We retweeted this one. This is at Just Fork It said, nearly an hour into this and not one at Whataburger commercial. Come on now, at History. <laughs> Very so true. We retweeted that because we agreed. And then there was also I, I I was live tweeting during this during the show. I actually watched live television for the first time in forever. Um, and I tweeted, uh, which got a little bit of traction. 
I said that this this Sonic commercial that they keep airing is more historically accurate to Texas than the show is. <laughs> okay, maybe maybe that's true. Uh, well, here was a criticism. Uh, Jerry Johnson posted to our Facebook page. He said, "I know what some of these characters look like. They did a poor job of casting." Uh, you know, I think. I'm going to say, Jerry, that uh, I'm, I'm somewhat with you on some of it, and I'm somewhat not with you on others. I mean, we'll talk more in the next episode about some of the uh, costume choices and, and, and things that they got wrong. Uh, and they definitely got some of the facial hair pieces wrong. But, you know, I think for the major historical characters, I think they did the best they could with matching actors to kind of look like things. I think they tried hard to when they could. So, uh, so kudos to you, makeup people, <laughs> hair and makeup. <laughs> I have to, I have to say that I really dug Sam Houston's uh, scarf belt at the beginning of the show. That whole look he had going on was was pretty good. Well, you know, uh, Born Eighty uh, tweeted us and said, you know, uh, I guess I'm disappointed in Sam Houston too. I think he was bigger than life. Not so wimpy as portrayed. Hashtag Texas Rising fails. And I, you know, I don't know. So did you think Sam Houston was wimpy? Too wimpy? Should he have been tougher? Nah. No. Well, I mean, I, nah. I, I don't think he has. He was fine. I mean, I don't think I don't think Bill Paxton has the physical presence that most portrayals of Sam Houston's have had. Have had. He's you know, you see the giant Sam Houston driving down to Houston, but uh, Sam Houston was allegedly a very large like bulky robust man and bill paxton's you know kind of a tall skinny guy but i think he still has this the, the like scott said he has the gravitas and the character and the characterization and the swagger of a sam houston and that's that's where he brings it but i did like that they showed the scene where he had a shirt off at the opening and you saw all the scars and the wounds that he took at you know early in his life and it was just like oh you're a credible soldier guy because you got shot in the groin with an arrow and other places. Uh, there was a guy, and Sean might talk about him a little bit more, but there's a guy, J.A. Burnson, at J.A. Burnson, and he, he, was on, he, was on, he was in fuego. He was on fire on Twitter, uh, live-tweeting the show, and he was really hilarious, and, and he did a lot of uh, interesting bits. He also wrote an op-ed for the Austin American Statesman, uh, and and that's a great a great little article he had there. Do you want to sum up sum up what he said? Yeah, so we're we're gonna meet we we're gonna link the article on our show notes this week. But he sums up our thoughts, I think, with his closing paragraph. And I want to read this. It's, it really does kind of capture what we wanted to say. Uh, there's two more, there's this, there's this bit. And then there's one more bit that really captures kind of how we feel about this. So what, what, what James says is we can all laugh at this. You have to, it, it was at some point entertaining and maybe just maybe a non-Texan might see it and get the very basic point that Texans fought a, a revolution against a pretty terrible dictator, won our freedom and that Houston, Austin, Seguin, and a few other guys were real people who really lived and to whom we are truly indebted. Maybe that viewer will even pick up a book and read what really happened. If so, then maybe there is a silver lining to this ludicrous farce. If only people still read books. <laughs> read and a then book, the last people. bit, I think, okay, so there was one final tweet, I think, that really captured really both our love of, of our frustration with this show and our enjoyment of this show. And it's from at Brandon Davidson. And he says, I mean, it's bad, but 
hashtag Texas rising is way better than hashtag Arkansas rising would be. And yes, that's, that's true. It's better. (laughs) Yeah. Nobody cares about that story. So this was our opinion. Look, we're trying to capture and help you guys understand what, what, what was good, what was bad. If you like what we said, let us know. If you don't like what we said and you disagree, let us know. You can go, you can go to brainstable.com. You can find our contact info. You can find us on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Reddit. Get out there and let us know what you think. We got four more episodes. We got eight more hours of Texas Rising. So to strap in, tune in, and stick with us because we're going to go this whole distance with you and talk about real Texas history. Thank you for listening. That wraps things up for today. You can find links and notes from today's show at brainstable.com. We'd love to hear from you, so like and share us on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or go to brainstable.com and leave some feedback. You can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. If you want to support the show, go to patreon.com slash texaspodcast. And a special thanks to podclear.com for helping to power the show today. You can follow us individually, too. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Sean with two N's. And I'm Scotticus. We know you love the show, and we know you love Texas, and we know you love Sam Houston. So tell your friends, tell your enemies, tell everyone you know, and please leave a review on iTunes, because that helps us to find new listeners, just like you. We hope you'll join us next time, and remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway. Anyway.